0: Oh, so good. Welcome. I want to extend my welcome to uh, you all here with your first time. Uh, I want you to know this is a place where you can come and find community. And if you want to know more about Jesus, your questions. Ask away. Um, also, big welcome to all those on, on, online, and uh, we love doing life with you. We've actually been doing a lot of the connect groups and getting to know some of you through that. Carly Oldham uh, is doing an amazing job with coordinating that. Can we actually give our, put our hands to, for Carly and what she does? <clears throat> a huge blessing to us as an online church as well. So we're second week into this uh, series, and we are talking on the topic of humility I sweated bullets when I got this one uh, because I feel very under-equipped to do it. But by the grace of God, here we go. Um, There's much to learn around this topic. Lots of different ways and avenues we can take it. But my prayer is uh, that as we press into this, that we leave this this auditorium, we leave the places that we're watching changed people. Um, When we're talking about your kingdom come, Uh, Our prayer is that God will come and change our hearts, us as a community, for the glory of God, and that lives will be changed. You know what I mean? We might gather here, but really it's out there where we do our spiritual lives. We go and love on people. And so my prayer is as we do this, uh, that the Holy Spirit will change us in in many, many ways. Um, I was thinking about humility and uh, the many ways that I have been humbled. Um, And um, one of the ways I was was thinking about, it's actually there's many of them, but one particularly I remember was stuck in my life or in my head, is uh, I was driving my car with a good mate of mine just down the road, this was many years ago, and uh, it was a little, little car. And um, we'd pulled up a set of lights. And you know what Aspley gets like just down the road? It gets quite chockers and busy. And uh, I was at the front, all right. And um, so the lights went green. But as soon as the lights went green, someone was on their horn. Has anyone ever experienced that? Has anyone been the culprit and done that? And I was like, in this moment... You know what I mean? Like before I'd even gotten my foot off the brake and onto the accelerator, this horn was there and, and something inside me just went, like, that's not right. You know, like, and I was like looking in the rear vision mirror. I don't think I was a pastor at this point, so I'm, I'm forgiven. And, and I remember just thinking, like, I was looking at my mate. And I'm like, how dare that person? You know what I mean? we went around the corner and there was a red light. And so I pulled up, and, and my mate and I was there. And I thought, you know, I mean, like, I might just let this person know that I didn't agree with their uh, their way of doing things. And so I gave a little bit of a, a Clint Eastwood look, you know, across past my mate who was the passenger, just to let him know. And um, I was greeted as this very dark tinted window came down, I was greeted by two very masculine, muscular tattooed men, you know what I mean, like looking at me, and uh, I remember just thinking in my mind, just be confident, you know what I mean, I'd like, be strong, I was looking at my mate, and I, my mate wasn't even looking, he was just looking straight ahead, and, and uh, I was looking at him, and we were like two bamboo shoots compared to these guys, and he looked at me and said, what's your issue, and uh, I just remembered in that point... God humbled me very quickly. I survived it. I learned my lesson. But humility is a very good thing for us to learn. You know what I mean? In our culture, we love uh, to see people be humble, don't we? You know what I mean? Like NRL Sue is about to kick off. Is anyone excited about that? Where when there's no one here for NRL. <laughs> Well, one of my greatest passions with league is state of origin, and if you don't know state of origin, it's where two states come together, and it's a very passionate battle of football, you know what I mean, and something in that brings out not such a good side in me. Uh, You might agree with me that as the battle takes place, and the other team always seems to be just a bit dirty, you know what I mean? It's like us as Queenslanders, we play really well and we're very kind in the way we play. No, we are very one-eyed, I can promise you that. And, uh, but you see this tackle take place and what do you do? You, you get up, like I'll, I'll be at the screen and I'll be talking to them and be like, you are lucky that I am not on that stage with you. You know what I mean? Like we long for them to be humbled. And then the moment they are humbled, we're cheering. You know what I mean? And, and I walk out of the A2 building after we've watched it. And then someone greets me and says, oh, pastor, can you pray for me? And I'm like, oh, Lord. Lord, I pray for the love and grace and mercy. You know what I mean? Like humility is, like, is something that we struggle with in our lives. Maybe it's just me. Like, it's, it's something that is deeply etched in our lives. Why are these things an issue? Why does it matter, you know, if someone tries to pull in front of you or someone toots you? or It's because our lives are rooted in self. That, that's it. That's where our identity is. And we live in a world, in a society... Uh, that in, in most cases is constantly selling us this idea that it's about me, that it's about you know, where, what you achieve in this world. And so work hard towards it. Step on anyone you can to get it. it, it you are number one. And, and the thing is we buy, we can buy into this idea. I think if we ask most people around us, they would say and society would say that humility is a virtue that is very good. But whether it's being exercised or how people understand what humility is can be a very different story. And so let's, let's look at this. I want to look at what the opposite of humility is. And the actual meaning of it actually came up with a whole list of names. It was pride, it's arrogance, it's pretentiousness, it's egoism, it's self-importance. And if we're looking as a community, we're wanting to press in, we want to we wanna change the way we do things. We want to be people that that they look at us and see something different. Well, John 1335 says, Because for your love for one another, that will prove that to the world that you are my disciples. If that is the hunger for our heart, well, we better ask God to begin to show us what true humility is. See, this is what pride looks like. Pride can look like a sense of expected privilege. Pride can look like that, that love of people fearing you or people looking up to you or people marvelling at you. Maybe you're a boss or in your leadership position and it puffs you up when, when people, you know, sort of cower to you. Maybe it can be our, our pride can be in our job description or our social status, our postcode, which makes us feel more accomplished than other people. Another one is you may be blessed with great knowledge in an area and you cling on to that concept of knowledge is power. Meaning if someone asks for help, you don't want to give them the knowledge you have out of fear that they may become better than you or they may get the accolades. Maybe it's something like yeah, someone sharing stories and you're waiting for your name to be mentioned. Maybe it's hearing another person's failure and, and thinking about yourself better as a result of that. Maybe it's, it's this where we, we think, why didn't they ask us to do that? Why didn't they ask me to do that? Because I could have done a better job than what they did. These are just examples of what pride can look like in our life and in our culture. It can even happen spiritually. We can use other people's failures or where they are in their spiritual journey to make us feel more spiritual, more holy. We can use our spiritual practices as a gauge to measure our holiness. Holiness. Another one is we can go on serving God without prayer because we get this idea or the thought that our wisdom and our experience and our knowledge is going to serve us enough for it. And what I've found this does, and I'm talking about from my, in, in my own life, is this breeds this, this heart, this culture, the way we we look down on people. We, we don't listen well. There's, we can produce stubbornness. We're not eager to learn because either we, we know it or we don't want people to know our weaknesses. It can produce insecurity. We can't st- celebrate other people's successes. We struggle to admit wrong. We don't champion on other people when they do something better than us. We become competitive, easily threatened. We become jealous. And we know jealousy, what does jealousy do? It stirs up something in us, what makes us want to, what, spread mistruths, sabotage someone else's journey. We can get critical, judgmental. It even can push us to the position of not wanting to associate with other people because of their social status or because they can't offer us what we need. It's it's a pretty serious thing. God actually says that God opposes the proud, but he gives what? Grace to the humble. James 4, um, 1 to 3, gives us a bit of an illustration of it. It says this, it says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desire, those battles within you? You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so what do you do? We quarrel and we we fight because we're not getting what we desire. You do not have because you do not ask God, and when you ask, you do not receive. Why? Because we go about asking with wrong motives because the things we're asking for we want to spend on our own pleasures, our own self. And the problem with this I've found is in our pursuit, it's our pursuit to find worth and purpose. And as we do this, we look for it in the wrong area. And so what we end up doing is we try shaping everything around us to suit us, to benefit me. You mean we, we, we try to bend... Our relationships and friendships, we, uh, the way we do finances, our situations, the environments we find ourselves. And it's this pursuit of actually me than it is you. But the kingdom of God is, is very different. It, it's, it's, it's been labelled before an upside-down kingdom. And the Bible talks a lot about humility. Actually, at the heart of the gospel is humility. Come with me to Philippians 2. Because this gives us a complete different picture of what it looks like in a culture or in a heart or what a, a culture should look like if it is surrounded in humility. Listen to this. Therefore... If you have any encouragement from being what? United with Christ. If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being what? Like-minded. This is Paul writing. Have the same love. Be one in spirit together and one and of one mind. And then verse three says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, and here it is, value others above yourself. Value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but in fact, each of you looking to the interests of others it's 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 upside down to me I, I look at this and it's not what I I'm, I was taught it's not it's not what society is selling me it's not what everyone is about but it actually the thought to value others above yourself to not look to your own interests but actually to die to self and invest in others can only come from a different kingdom what does it mean to be like-minded the same love being one in spirit one in mind well It continues in verse five. This is what it is. It says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. What was the mindset of Christ Jesus? Well, listen to the humility of Jesus. Jesus who being in the very nature God, Jesus God himself in human form, Did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, in being found in appearance as a man. He what? He humbled himself and becoming obedient to death, even to the extent of death on a cross. Look, if you want an ultimate illustration of humility, here it is. Look, we are talking about the creator God. Look, Colossians 1, it gives us a picture of his authority. It says, Christ is the invisible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created. He is supreme over all creations. For through him, God created Everything. In the heavenly realms and on earth, he made the things that we can see and he even made the things tonight that you cannot see. Such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers and authorities in the unseen world. And it says, everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he is actually the only one that holds all creation together. Look at the authority of God, yet God humbled himself not for his own advantage, but to be obedient on a cross for you and for me. Like, to me that's powerful. Look, I love reading um, you know the lead-up to Jesus um, on the cross, and then when Jesus is on the cross, Luke 22, it's just before Jesus is arrested with a full knowledge of the suffering that he's about to endure, the humiliation. And he goes and he walks away from his disciples about a stone's throw, it says, in Luke 22, 41, and he knelt down to pray, and this is the battle that he's having. And he says, Father, if you are willing can you please take this cup of suffering away from me? But he says, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Like, this is the creator God. It's almost this picture of, look, if this is what is required for humanity to be recon- reconciled to you, God. I'll do it. You mean Luke 23, when Jesus is on the cross, his humility, it says the crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saves others, they said. Let him save himself if he really is God's Messiah, the chosen one. And then the soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine and they called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And then a sign was fastened above him with these words, this is the King of the Jews. And then even one of the criminals hanging beside him in verse 39 scoffed at him and said, so are, so you're the Messiah, are you? And he says, prove it by saying, saving yourself and us while you're at it. Like, if I was Jesus, you know what I mean? I would have just brought together all of the heavens, angel armies, you know what I mean? And just given a little bit of a flex. You know what I mean? I would have loved to see that person humbled as, you know, Jesus gets off the cross and performs some miracle, but no. He knew what was before him, he knew what his children needed. And what did he do? He came to serve you and me. Hum- amazing humility. Look at this, look at this illustration in First Corinthians. First Corinthians 13, 4-7. You hear this a lot at wedding ceremonies, but it's so much more significant than probably what you've actually just listened to it as it's gone past. It's just a, another Bible verse, but it's got huge depth. Listen to this. Love is patient. It says, love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts always hopes it always perseveres this is the heart of god but this becomes even more amazing amazing act of, of him laying down his life when we realize it was for us who were actually against him like really we were the mockers I've always been um, amazed in in this passage in Matthew 5. Jesus, um, it's this, this Sermon on the Mount and Jesus sees a, a large crowd comes around him, the disciples are there, and so he sees this large crowd, so he goes up onto a, uh, onto a hillside, and he, they all gather around, and he begins to speak to them. And this is where we get these, uh, you might have heard it, where it's, it talks about blessed are the meek, blessed are the, those who mourn, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But at the very beginning of this, in verse 3, Jesus actually starts off with saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know what I mean? I used to look at that with humility and, and, and think, well, what does that mean? Like, does that mean I've got to just be, you know I mean, completely curled up? Do I need to hide in the shadows? Do I need to be someone that constantly needs to feel this weight and oppression on my life? But I love what John Tyson says, if if you you don't know John Tyson, he's an Australian guy who is an author, uh, a church planner, is is based in New York and is a lead pastor there, um, and a well-read guy, and this is what he says about this. Talking about the crowd, he says, this is a passionate community of listeners who are waiting to hear who the next king is and what the kingdom of God would be. It's a loaded pregnant moment, ready to birth a movement. These people are ready to push in. And Jesus defies everyone's expectations by saying these words, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He goes on to say, no one would have anticipated that the Messiah who was announcing the rule and reign of God would say that this is the starting point. What does Jesus mean by poor in spirit or we could say poverty of spirit? He goes on to say, many people believe that Jesus is talking about material poverty, poverty a theology where God is opposed to the rich and against the wealthy and that he has a um, dis, a dis, what's the word? Thank you. Um, Towards the poor, an unbalanced favor. He says, but I I don't want to say this doesn't have any implications in this case. Jesus does say to people, especially those who made money and resources and power their God, but he is not fundamentally talking about material poverty. He says the other interpretation is people can lean towards is a self-loathing worm theology. He says, in other words, I am the worst. I'm a, I'm a worm. You know, a beating down of the self trying to show you how disgusting and shameful we are in our sin, hoping somehow to attract God's favour. And he says, I don't believe this is what Jesus is getting at either. He says, listen to these quotes. Kent Hughes says, let us understand what poverty of spirit is not. It is not the conviction that one, of us, uh, that, that one is of no value whatsoever. It does not mean the absence of self-worth or as one theologian put it, a a theology of insignificance. It does not require us to believe ourselves as zeros. Such an attitude is simply not scriptural. For Christ's death on our behalf teaches us that we are actually of great value. MacArthur continues... He talks about monasticism and asceticism. Physical self-denial and other self-efforts are so foolish and futile. They actually feed our pride rather than subdue it because they're actually works of the flesh. They give a person a reason to boast in what he has done or not done. Such self-imposed efforts are enemies of humility. To be uh, poor in spirit, or spiritual poverty, is actually is a person's acknowledgement that we are completely spiritually bankrupt before God. That's why it says, if you, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, because they'll inherit the kingdom of God." It, it's a position. Where before God we say we have nothing that can purchase our salvation. That's so why I'm so grateful for Romans 5 8, it says, But God demonstrates his love for us that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. See, if it wasn't for God's love or humility, we would not have received his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. We would not have a relationship with our Father God. And we would not have the Spirit of God living within us. See, it's at this moment where we realise we're spiritually, spiritually bankrupt is where humility is actually birthed when we realise there is nothing we can ever bring before God that could purchase our soul, the only way is by humbling ourselves and receiving what only Jesus can give. It's when we die to self-efforts and we solely rely on the work of Jesus Christ, his work on the cross and the power of His resurrection. See, this is critical for us. If we are going to be a people who are known for our humility, it's got to start at the cross. It can't start anywhere else. And there has to be this moment of just complete surrender of saying, God, I can't do it, but you can. until we've given up our life and our soul and we've realized we can't do it, fundamentally we're always going to be itself. This is why it's essential for us to understand that not only Jesus is the perfect example of humility, but he is the life that produces humility by the Holy Spirit in our lives. See, if we don't come to that point of humble surrender, we don't have God living within us. We don't have the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit who comes and lives within us. And as we've done that renew series, it's He that changes our heart. It's He that actually puts us a new heart in us and develops a new, a new creation. He changes our mind. And it's the life of Christ within us that produces this godly virtue. Galatians 2.20 says, for I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I don't know if you've realized that, but there's no need for us to be pursuing these things in order to find our identity or our hope or our self-worth. Because James 1 tells us that we are actually God's prized possessions. Like why would the God of creation die on a cross for us? Because he loves us. He's called us. He has a purpose for us and he longs to pour out his life into us. Do you realise it tonight that you actually are labelled a son and daughter of the Most High? You have something that's not of this world if you're in Jesus tonight. See, in the kingdom of God, our value, our worth isn't measured by our own achievements or where we sit on a social scale, or what people say, or how people value us, or what is in our hands. But actually, it's about who God says we are and who we are in Christ. It's having a fresh new identity, that it's, our identity is Christ. And when you realise that we have this amazing, glorious calling... Is calling to love God, go and tell people about the love of Jesus, to go and love your neighbour. It doesn't matter what giftings you have, what passions or opportunities you get, your career or your, whether you have leadership positions, whether you've got material objects, or the very air we breathe is because god they're all God-given for His purposes. And we get to be a part of that. This is why we can cheer on people. See, Paul knew this. So the Apostle Paul knew this so well. That's why we pick up in Philippians 4. He he was content. He knew what it was to be content in whatever the circumstance. He said, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learnt the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or whether I'm hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through Him that gives me strength. Why was He so content? Because His identity was in Christ. He had a mind of Christ. And how does that impact us? How does that impact your your life? I'm gonna have ben to come up. Because this is significant for us tonight. What does this mean to, to be humble? What does this mean in your own life? What identities have you been building your identity off? It's been building pride. What areas in our life do we need to freshly surrender? What have we been banking on in our lives? Our performances, our things we're skilled at or good at. And Jesus is calling us tonight to come freshly back to him. If we want to be a people that are known for our love for each other. And the people look on and say, uh, they must be who they say they are. They say they're followers of Jesus. We're required to surrender and die to self. And that brings great freedom because wherever you are positioned, whether you're top of the class or you're at the bottom of the class, whether you're in a high leading position or you're not, whether you've got plenty or you don't. When we die to self and begin to realise that our identity is in Christ, we understand what we have in Christ, a fresh perspective takes over. It'll change the way that we interact with each other. We see each other as sons and daughters of the Most High God. We're not trying to step on each other, but actually we're cheering each other on. Someone gets an opportunity and you don't get it. You're like, well, it's for the glory of God. You cheer them on. Maybe tonight, the first thing you need to do is actually humble yourself before God. And you've been building your life, even your spiritual journey on things of self. And so tonight, just while we're here and we're seated, you can do that right now. You do that. Your first point of call tonight is to say, Jesus forgive me, I can't earn it, I surrender my life Lord my life is yours, I don't want my job, my career my intellect to get in the way but Lord may they be used as tools to bless those that are around me. And so Jesus, right now, we just ask that you'll come, you'll stir, you'll move, you'll change. Change us, Lord God. And in this song that we sing, Lord, as we cry out, Lord, we want the heart of God. Lord, we want to surrender all, Lord, and We know that self is so deeply rooted in us, but Lord, by your grace, by your mercy, will your spirit come point out areas in my life, in our lives? Will you change the way we think, the way we perceive one another? Take competition away and say, Lord, we surrender we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. We stand. We're going, to, we're going to worship our great God. But in, through this moment, if you want to pray with someone, maybe you just want to come and kneel before God. Just offer your life afresh. Maybe there's areas in your life that you're struggling to let go of. Maybe this will be the night that you just come before and say, God, I'm going to struggle with it but I'm praying that your power will change it. My heart is for you, God. Let's do that.
1: Jesus, that's the cry of our heart. Those words are powerful actually at the end there. You're all that I want. And I think the, the reality, the truth is, is that that's, that's the need of our heart. That's the need of our life, is that You are everything that we need. I'm just conscious here tonight actually, and just in this attitude of prayer, one of the reasons it's so hard to come to faith It's because there's something in your soul, something in my soul, our hearts that says, I want to be in control of my life. The very reason we don't want to surrender is because we want to be in control. But actually to come to faith requires a letting go. It requires huge amounts of humility to say, I can't do this life. I can't do this. I can't live this out. It requires a huge amount of humility to say, God, I need You. But I'm conscious in this room tonight, there may just be one of you, just one of you. And you don't even understand all of this, but you've just been coming. And there's something deep down within your soul because you've tasted every aspect of the world and you're still winding up empty. And there's something deep down in your soul where you just sense that you are at the end of yourself. And even though it seems so hard, that you are in a good place because tonight is an opportunity to say, I can't do it, I need you. Yes, it requires humility, but in that very place, you can experience life and life to the full. If that's you tonight, you know who you are. I wanna give you an opportunity to surrender an opportunity out of that state of humility to say, I need God and to experience life. Just in your head and in your heart, you can pray this prayer as an act of response. God, I need You. I can't do this life on my own. I need You. So humbly tonight I come before You And I ask that You might be Lord and Saviour of my life. Fill me now with Your Spirit as I surrender my life to You. Come, lead me and guide me. And I wanna follow You all the days of my life. Forevermore, in Jesus' Name, Amen. And Father, I'm just convinced as well For some, for one, this may have been a moment of surrender for the first time in their life. But I'm convinced that for every single one of us, it requires a surrender every day, every day, to recognise I'm not in control of my life, to recognise that we need You every single day. And so just in this quick moment, you know there's aspects of your life and your heart that you need to re-surrender and I just wanna give you an opportunity to say, God, help me in this area in that state of humility. Just pray to Him now, just in your head and in your heart. Father, we surrender, re-surrender our hearts to You this very night. We thank You for Your grace. We thank You for Your mercy. We thank You that we can come in a state of humility. And we thank You that You showed what that looks like. You paved the way. Humility so we can experience Your grace and Your mercy and Your love, great God. Continue to lead us and guide us by Your Spirit, Father, we pray. And uh, we just thank You so much for who You are. Thank You for uh, everything that You desire to do in and through us, great God, as You continue to sanctify us. We love You, Lord, and we honour You. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're really good to have you here tonight in the service. Great to have you online as well. I do just want to um, say again, if you want prayer about anything at all, we'd love to pray for you. You can come down at the front or the prayer lounge at the back. Um, but God bless you. Great to have you here tonight and um, we'll see you soon. Thanks. Heaps.